Hello everyone, Michael Robertson Jr. here. This is episode 33 of the Hallowed Horror Podcast, and of course I have with me this evening my very good friend and co-host, Mr. Jason Collins. Hello folks, and hello Michael. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I just just was talking to you before we started recording. I feel like today is one of those days where I've done nothing except stare at a screen, whether that be my computer or my iPad or my phone, from like probably 9.30 this morning until now, which is now 9 p.m. at night. Uh, I'm just, I've been in front of a screen the whole time. So I'm actually really looking forward to having this episode recorded with you, but I'm also mm-hmm. really excited to finish it so I can just go like, read a book and get away from all of the digital screens. I completely understand. Well, I mean, let's just jump into it then. Oh, I thought you were just gonna say, well, let's just, let's just scrap it to hell with it. Let's stop <laughs> it. And we'll just do it another night. So the sooner we get into it, the sooner we can get out of it. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that this is actually a really good episode or a really good movie to kind of skip all the preamble and, and normal banter that was, you know, usually more lighthearted and silly on our part because this is not a, a lighthearted or serious or silly film by, by it's any not. means. No, this, this is, it, and it's not even, it's not a dark movie either. Um, it's a heavy movie. It, uh, it hits on, it hits on a few notes that are, um, you know, really hard to talk about, uh, for some people. And, you know, as a society, it's hard to deal with. And, um, but there really needs to be more, more light, um, on this subject, uh, you know, in my opinion. Yeah. So this film that we're talking about again, one, once again, I feel like, you know, here we go with our, our shutter plug. This is a shutter original. And this is something that I saw people talking about a lot on social media. And it was a lot of the same reactions that I was seeing was just how visceral this movie was. I mean, Everything they were, I think all the people that I were reading their like, you know, praises and opinion of it on social media were trying to, you know, articulate just how in your face this movie is without spoiling anything. So I really didn't know what the the big deal was, but I knew that there were people talking about it. So I knew we had to watch it because I was just seeing it everywhere. This movie, I, I, you can chime in here. I don't remember ever seeing a movie, a movie that had a disclaimer before it saying that it was, you know, explicit and dealing with some very serious stuff and and very graphic. I've seen like, you know, when you're watching something on cable TV networks or something and like, Hey, viewer discretion advised, this may contain scenes or whatever. I've never Mm -hmm. seen it for a movie and for a movie on shutter to feel like they need to warn you about something I was instantly like, oh my, like, what are we getting ready to get into here? Yeah, you're right. I, I took a screenshot of it, actually. It says, violation contains sexual violence, graphic sexual content, and extreme violence gore. Discretion is advised. And that was very surprising. It was surprising enough for me to take a screenshot of it. I'm, so. I'm glad you did, because I couldn't remember what it was exactly. But yeah, that is it is crazy. So yeah, this, this movie is called Violation. It's a Shutter original, and it just came out this year, 2021. And um, I've got the synopsis here. If you would like me to read it, or do you have one that you'd like to read? Go for it. Yeah, I'm just looking at the one from from IMDb. Okay, the one. So I had both. I had originally grabbed IMDb, but the one from Shutter is actually a lot 
better. Um, mm-hmm. The one from Shudder says, with her marriage about to implode, Miriam returns to her hometown to seek solace in the comfort of her younger sister and brother-in-law. But one evening, a tiny slip in judgment leads to a catastrophic betrayal, leaving Miriam shocked, reeling, and furious. Believing her sister to be in danger, Miriam decides she must protect her at all costs, but the price of revenge is high, and she is not prepared for the toll it takes as she begins to emotionally and psychologically unravel. A Shudder original. Mm-hmm. And that's the better of the two synopsis. The one on IMDb, to me, was very just generic. Um I'm not actually sure that the one from from Shudder fits the story exactly the way that I saw it, but it is more detailed in terms of, of some of the dynamic going on. But yeah, long story short, bad thing happens to a woman, and she exacts revenge in a very graphic yeah. way. Yeah, but you know the 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 description on Shudder even depicts the the reasoning for her violence. Um, I think, in my mind, incorrectly. I, I don't think it has anything to do with her sister. I mean, maybe a part of it does. Maybe a portion of it does. But I, I think it had everything to do with her trying to regain some sort of dignity back. Yeah, and I don't think that it was a slip in judgment that led to catastrophe. That's I, also I, correct, yep. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the slip in judgment was maybe the little thing that happened, but it was yeah, not the right big before. thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. And, and we can talk more about that, too, in a minute. But yeah. Um, Let's go over the uh, let's go over the characters here. Sure. Um, now, director uh, directors and writers is actually um, Dusty. Oh man, can you say that name? Uh, Mancinelli. Mancinelli and Madeline Sims Fewer. Mm-hmm. Now, Madeline Sims Fewer was uh, so she was a, a co-director, co-writer for this, and she was also the uh, star of the movie as well, yep. uh, playing Miriam. We also have Anna McGuire playing Greta, her sister. We have Jesse La... You want to give that a shot? Is it Lavercom? 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 Capital V there. La- I'm going to go with Lavercom. <laughs> Lavercom. Yeah, and he played Dylan. Okay. Uh, then we got uh, Obi Abili. Sure. Playing Caleb. Uh, and then that's pretty much the main cast. There's a few other smaller characters here and there, but we'll stick with that. I'm going to I'm going to add in one more. There was actually just two other characters listed on IMDb, but is, is it Yasmin Gelio played Ivan? He was kind of like the abusive like uh, really macho kind of um bad oh, guy that she pulled up in the, in the Mattel. Did you recognize him? He, yeah, I, he looked familiar, but I I couldn't place him. Where is he from? He's the guy that makes the cinnamon buns in Shit's Creek. Oh, <laughs> shit, you're right. Yeah. That is amazing. Yep. He was Such com- a different role. Completely different character. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, small small cast. Very intimate cast for a very intimate, if you will, movie. So, mm-hmm. um, And I looked at all of these people's IMDb. Um, not much here. A lot of just shorter works, you know, small, independent, short film, stuff like that, which is not uncommon for what we're seeing for some of these like breakout films on mm-hmm. Shudder. You know, people that have had a lot of work leading up to kind of like this moment of being like their their main thing. So that's, that's mm-hmm. all. I think that's really impressive considering what this movie is. Yeah, impressive and also um uh, surprising because the movie was really well done. 
Yeah, I, I mean, looked for, at the, for them to have such um, for them to have such a a, a, a little history. Uh, it was it was incredibly well acted and produced. Um, I, I from that perspective, I really really enjoyed the movie. Yeah. I, I even looked up the cinematographer because at some point oh, okay. I, I realized I was like, all right, if there's somebody that maybe has done some stuff here before, it might be this guy. Um, and even that one, it was just like nothing, nothing I've seen or, or, or heard of. So this was a very, mm-hmm. very green crew, I feel like. And they did, I mean, a phenomenal job. So um, we already talked about the disclaimer. And do you want to like... Where do you want to start in terms of unpacking this? Like, do you want to, I don't even know where to start to be honest with you because so much of the movie dominates my brain with just the main, I think, scene that everybody is going to remember. Yeah. Well, I mean, so just to, just to build the scene here, we've got Miriam and she is the sister that's coming home. um, And her sister is Greta. Her other sister is Greta. They have, not been together. They don't, they don't see each other often. Miriam is still over in the UK. Greta is here in the United States. Now Greta and Dylan are boyfriend, girlfriend, Miriam and Caleb are married, but it seems like their marriage is on the rocks. And you get that from the very first scene that you, that you see characters they are in the car Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of tension. They're not talking to each other. Caleb kind of looks over at her and then looks back and kind of shakes her, shakes his head. So there's already some tension growing there. And, um, but then Greta and Dylan, they seem to be great as far as you can tell, uh, except for there's a couple, there's a couple scenes that Greta seems to, she seems to make it seem like she's forcing it or it's forced on her end where she's like, She's just making it work because she feels like it has to. But I think later I realized that it's probably Dylan being manipulative. Uh, and that's sort of that, that's just, that's just his MO throughout the whole movie. So who knows how great that was, but that's, that's kind of the, the building blocks for the relationships here. Now, Miriam and Greta, they're not, they don't have great relationships either. Uh, being, being so far apart. Um, they're, they're trying to rekindle, um, their, their relationship, but that doesn't go well. So from Miriam's perspective, she doesn't have a great relationship with anybody except for Dylan. seems like they're sort of like childhood friends and there seems to be some chemistry there from the beginning. Yeah. I, I definitely picked up on the, the childhood friend perspective. I don't know. I can't remember if they ever went into any more detail about that story. Uh, I kind of that plot point, but yeah, there was definitely a vibe that all three of them knew each other when they were younger, the two sisters and Dylan. Dylan and Greta are married, by the way. According to both of the synopsises, Miriam goes to visit her sister and brother-in-law. So oh. they're married. I, I I actually thought it was backwards. I thought that Miriam and um, Caleb were boyfriend-girlfriend and then the sister was engaged. So... Regardless of, I believe that is the proper dynamic, but essentially the, the, the scene setter here is just, you have two sisters that are kind of visiting each other for the first time in a while. There seems to be some sort of, I don't know, not great relationship there that they don't really dive into a ton of where some of the animosity comes into, but they are both in relationships and one of them seems to be thriving and one of them seems to be kind of dwindling and you've got all four of these people together at 
it, it's almost like a, a kind of a retreat, like a like a, a lake house almost that I mm-hmm. guess that the sister owns um, for this nice kind of weekend together. And that is really it. It's a very simple setup to the point that there's there's not even a lot of plot that really happens there. It's almost kind of disjoined the way that they show some of these scenes to the point that you're not even sure like what their chronological chronologic order of events are sometimes in this movie, especially when they intersperse it with some of those like um, really like tight, like macro shots, you know, of, of some of the like stuff in the forest and, and what you get the feel is somebody coming much later and examining things which does tie mm-hmm. together in the end, but it's it's a very simple premise. But to me, this was one of the strongest points of the movie because so much of it is just these four characters acting so incredibly naturally together. I mean, if you were to watch them interact, they're like, you know, having some beers on the porch or hanging out around the campfire or, you know, playing down by the lake. Like these are situations that like we've all been in, like we've done this and it all felt so natural to the point that like some of it, I almost felt like could have been, you know, improvised, you know, like a basic script, you know, plot points to hit. And then they just kind of riffed off of each other. It, it felt really, really natural. I thought that the character acting in this movie was really, really top notch. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it, it very, they, yeah, they, they all played off uh, each other very, very well. Um, so diving into some of the story aspect of it in the very beginning, um, they're at this remote lake house cabin in the woods sort of deal. And like you said, Miriam and, uh, and Miriam and Caleb, um, are, are not doing great for whatever reason. They never really go into it. And, uh, and then you got Greta and Dylan, uh, who appear to be doing good. And so, there's there's moments in time where you see Greta trying to give uh, Miriam some marital advice and, um, and and that not going over very well. You've got moments where Miriam and Caleb are trying to just talk to each other and that doesn't go very well. And then all of that sort of builds into this moment by the campfire where Miriam and Dylan are eventually left by the campfire by themselves. And like we said earlier, there is some chemistry there, uh, obviously just childhood best friends or childhood friends, not best friends, but they do have history and there is some chemistry and they do just sit or, they just lay by the fire talking uh, for a while. It appears uh, there is uh, alcohol involved. And then at one point, and this is the, this is the, the moment where we think, okay, Mary, Miriam made a small, small mistake. They were just engaged in laughter at some moment. And then she just reached over. She just leaned over and kissed him. That was probably, it was an innocent kiss. And that was the last moment that there was anything innocent happening in the entire movie. Did that help me refresh my memory? Did the kiss come the same night as the campfire? Why do I feel like the kiss came in daytime? Like they were in the woods together seated Mm -hmm. somewhere else no that was all the same it was all in the same scene by the campfire okay so they had the kiss and then she eventually fell asleep Mm -hmm. and when she woke up it seemed to me that they eventually fell asleep Uh, you know she kissed him then she pulled back said oh my gosh i'm so sorry i should not have done that she went into saying how you know how selfish she was for that 
and how selfish she is in general. She, she kind of just kind of, you know, laid that out in, in saying that she, she does this all the time to her sister. She's, she's not a great sister, yada, yada, yada. And then he sort of consoles her says, I, I think you're fine. You know, I, I you know, you are you who you are. And, uh, she, he, he sort of consoled her, but then they eventually fell asleep and it seemed like it was morning time mm-hmm. when, well, yeah, she, when, she wakes up. It's, it's, it's basically dawn. Or, or yeah. yeah, and and she wakes up and he's having you know taking advantage of her, mm-hmm. um, and that is the event that basically you know sparks the rest of the movie. Uh, you know she she wakes up. He is he is forcing himself on her. She, you know, one of the things that I saw in some of the criticism of this film was that in that moment where he is raping her, essentially, mm-hmm. she doesn't fight back. Um, she does, you know, make a, a vocalized attempt to say, you know, stop, which he, we later find out that he is somehow, you know, construed in his head as a, it being interpreted very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but she doesn't forcefully or physically fight back. And I don't even want to attempt to dive into the psychological nature of what that must be like for a woman to go into. But I, I noticed that there were people, you know, that were defending that decision, saying that, you know, you don't know how you're going to react in those moments. And, you know, it could be a shock factor as well. That's just kind of rendering you into this position where, you know, you can't do anything to fight back. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a really interesting choice, you know, in that moment, in that scene, the way that she reacted and, and let it play out. So, um, but obviously it had, emotional and psychological impact, which then fed into the rest of the movie. Because at this point she, she is simultaneously kind of guilt ridden and also really concerned for her sister about the character, you know, of her sister's husband. And the sister just kind of blows her off and, and does the worst thing she could have possibly done, which, you know, was blame, blame her for, you know, either doing something wrong or trying to sabotage her marriage, you know, because of whatever baggage the two of them have together. Mm -hmm. To me, it seemed again, like you, I don't really even want to try to unpack what happened or what would happen in this sort of situation. But to me, it seemed like as soon as she realized what was going on emotionally, she just was shattered. I mean, she, I think she just fell apart as a human being at that moment. And the rest of the movie is her trying to pick up, pick up the pieces and, and figure out how to move on. Like you said, she confronts her sister because she's questioning the character of, of the, of the, of her sister's husband. At that point, she, uh, Greta, the sister does not listen. Uh, Greta blames Miriam for what happened. And she also confronts Dylan the next day about it as well. And Dylan, Dylan threw blame back at her saying, no, you know, this was, this was both of us. Um, you know, he didn't even, he didn't even really address the rape. He more just thought of, he, he more just considered it, oh, we cheated. Right. And, you know, you're, you're liable for that now too. Yeah. So, you know, watch what you do. Yeah. So she's, she is now, Miriam is now essentially completely alone. Right. She she's been the sister is ignoring her or, or blaming her or not even believing what she's saying, considering it like a sabotage attempt. 
the her attacker is you know acting like nothing happened bad that they just they were two adults that made a mistake you know in the heat of the Mm -hmm. moment you're right he's completely either he is either convinced himself because he's delusional or a psychopath that nothing bad did happen that they were jointly at together or he's just being manipulative and and basically playing the role of you know you're not going to bring me down we did this together Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, yeah, she's, she's at a loss. She is completely alone. Her, her relationship is already falling apart with her significant other. They, they really don't explain that very much. And I don't know if that was supposed to be just kind of like showing that overall Miriam kind of has some, some mental health issues that she needs to be, you know, needs some help to have worked out because of her own, you know, struggles in her own relationship and what's causing those. They never really cite any real reasons as to why she and this guy are having issues, but it's very apparent that they are. Yeah. And before we get into the, what I would consider the climax of the movie, which happens in the middle of the movie. um, What do you think of the scene right after the campfire, when she goes back into the cabin and she gets back in bed with um, her husband, with Caleb? Yeah. What, what, what do you make of that? What do you make of that situation that happened? Because what 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 did happen was that she crawled back into bed with her husband, yep. and tried to. She basically tried to force herself on him mm-hmm. at that point. Yep, and he just was not having it. Right. Yeah, that was actually one of those scenes where I was, I was a little curious as to whether it was chronological or if they were just showing another scene where she was where they were just portraying the the issues that they were having together um if it was chronological i i really i really think it was just showing how broken she was like she she did not know how to react to this she was she was trying to almost like maybe compartmentalize and and push it away and and react i i, I don't know it, it was she is such a broken character. And I think that this entire movie focuses on just showing all of the issues that she's dealing with and how she's reacting to. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's very much by the end of the movie or by the, by the climax of the movie, she's, she's very much the victim of, of a, of a, you know, a sexual assault here. Um, Before that, whether she had, you know, whether she was mentally stable or having, having issues again, we really don't know because they never really dive into what the actual issues were with between her and Greta and her and Caleb, her husband. They never really dive into that. So we really don't know the history and we don't know what's causing the, uh, the strain there in their situations or other relationships, but she has this awful thing happen to her and with everything else going on. And even with, even without everything else going on, that's enough to break somebody. Yeah. So, she, the rest of the movie at this point is just, you know, she's gone through, she's confronted her sister. She's confronted Dylan. Neither of them took any sort of responsibility. She's all alone. And the climax happens, uh, which honestly took me way by surprise. Um, just actually what was going on. Uh, so you want to, do you want to dive into what happened here? Yeah. I, I think we've, we've basically covered everything we need to cover, you know, for anybody getting up to this point, and that's, they all get together, they're all having problems in various ways, and then the rape happens, and what happens to her, the reactions that she receives from everybody that she cares about afterwards, you know, just 
it breaks her. It breaks her. Nobody's going to help her. So eventually, and I don't know exactly how much time has passed. I don't remember if they ever say or show, but there's been some time that has passed and she decides to basically take matters into her own hands. She She's going to get her revenge on this guy for what he did to her. And again, the motivations here could be dissected and analyzed. Like, is this purely revenge because she's angry for what he has done? to her is it revenge because of what he's done to her and how it has affected her relationship with her sister is mm-hmm. it because of what he did to her and how that has you know how he's betrayed her sister like what exactly the motivations are you could spend probably a bunch of different ways and it could be a little bit of everything of yeah I mean, all of it has to do with it yeah but basically she's pointed to this guy and she's singled him out and she goes i'm going to end you 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 will be no more and she sets and up it was a, a very very thought out process. It, exactly. It, it really was. Um, she basically, I, I guess, kind of seduces him and uh, kind of makes him think that she wants to have a, have a rendezvous with him for, for some more sex, you know, and, and to, to have a good time. And she gets him into the cabin and uh, you know, this is yeah. where, this is where the movie, this is where the disclaimer I think really is, oh, is appropriate. Yeah. It, Long story short, she and and while she is fake seducing him, she blindfolds him, ties him up, and then kills him. I mean, we don't need to get into a lot of the details about how she kills him, but she does. Oh, um, I'd, I'd like to get into some of the details about it. Okay, I think it's important. I, th- first of all, this scene was this scene took forever, and it, it, it was did. it was crazy to watch her to watch the different stages of what was going on between you know her and dylan and also the stages of where she was going from okay i'm gonna lure him here i've planned this out i'm ready to do it and then having almost having reservations about it for a moment and then not being able to do it and then having no choice but to do it uh essentially the 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 quick story is she lures him there. She ties him up. She blindfolds him. She knocks him out. And she has a winch that she is going to hang him upside down. But in in between trying to get him there, he wakes up. There's a struggle. She gets hurt. He's already hurt. And then eventually she is forced to end his life by her own hands. He str- she strangled him to death, mm-hmm. which was hard to watch. I mean, the, the, the realism in this movie was insane. It was. Uh, it was. It was so, it was so difficult to watch and it was so long and drawn out. And I think it was done on purpose and it was not, it, but it wasn't boring. Right. No. But it, it was definitely a very, very long scene. And then once she finally kills him, she connects him to the winch, strings him up upside down, slits his throat, drains all the blood out of him into a cooler. And then what she, uh, once that's done, she brings him back down. She takes the cooler. She empties out the blood into what? Some, some detergent bottles. And, uh, and then she, she cuts him up into pieces. Yep. She and had- there's, I mean, there's more that happens after that. I mean, yeah. she, she, she oh. burns all the meat off of the bones. She takes the bones, she grinds them up, and she is 
she's dispersing pieces here and there. It's, it's, it is, it is such a well-planned and well-thought-out process. It's probably the best I've ever seen in any of these types of movies. Yeah, it, it was a full-body disposal, no trace left behind. The, the thing, you know, going back to the beginning of her trying to kill him, you know, she does end up strangling him, and she was going to, you know, string him up on this winch and, I guess, do whatever. But she puts a bag over his head and, like, duct tapes his, his mouth and everything before, you know, the winch happens or before anything else goes happens. And when he comes to, because she had knocked him out, she lets him linger for a minute there, unable to breathe. And then she reacts very suddenly and rips the bag off and rips, you know, some of the tape off so he can breathe again. And I, I actually wasn't sure if the initial like suffocation attempt was more of just like a psychological toying with him. Like, you're going to die. Okay, no, I'm going to bring you back just so I can kill you. Or if she was actually going to let him die that way, then string him up and drain the blood. But she had, like you were saying, had that like moment where she's like, Oh my gosh, I can't do this. And she went to, to free him. I didn't know which Mm -hmm. one of those it was. What what do you think? I, I, the way she reacted, I thought it was, Oh my God, I can't do this. Or like, I don't know if I can, listen to him die like this. Right. Cause I mean, she turned around and she was like covering her mouth and she couldn't watch him. Yeah. She couldn't, she didn't want to hear it. So it seemed like she, she had second thoughts. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, where was she, where was she going to go from there? I mean, they're not going to talk it out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think it was, I think it was, a, I think it just goes to show really how realistic this movie was. She's not a killer. You know, this is not, this is not a serial. This isn't, she's not Dexter. Like, you know, she's, mm-hmm. by the way, I haven't seen Dexter. She, uh, she, she's just, reacting i think the way a lot of us would react in that situation by the way um the like the one piece of imdb trivia for this entire movie says that the scene where she's actually vomiting um it was when she was draining the blood right out of him right um she 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 was legitimately vomiting like that was a real person actually vomiting and i thought so when i was watching it me too i wondered like i wondered how they were getting so much vomit like fake vomit out of her. I was like, what is going on here? But it just kept on happening. I was like, man, that looks so real. Like, is there a tube somewhere that we can't see? Like what's going on? Yeah. And then when I, when I read that too, that it was, it was really her vomiting. I was like, well, that makes sense. Yeah. So let's, let's rewind for a second. We've, we've talked about the, the death and dismemberment, which is very in your face, but we, we have to talk about the penis in the room. Okay. Like, I'm like, this is all going to tie together at the end because I want to, I want to bring in, I want to bring home the point that you mentioned about the scenes being long and in your face and hard to watch from the violence perspective, but also what they did with the, the full frontal male nudity. Mm -hmm. I, I have never seen real life, full frontal male nudity with a full blown erection in anything that was fictional, that, that was, I mean, that wasn't a porn, right? Mm-hmm. If it wasn't a porn, pornographic movie or, or film, have you ever seen this? No, I mean, I've seen, you, you've seen like flaccid penises before and it's always just been flashes. Right. Right. Yeah. But this was, this was a fully erect penis and for a while. Yeah. I mean, they, like they showed him, stroking it they showed everything i mean it was you know it was 
I don't, I don't even know if we need to dwell on it because, you know, women have been doing it for, for years now. I mean, just, just because a dude does it, it I don't think it has to be a big thing, but uh, maybe that tied more into the movie itself too. And what it was about how women have to do, have to deal with this stuff, this kind of stuff for years now. Let's, let's have a guy do it. Have a guy do what? present himself oh himself, right like be the on one screen. being i got you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you're right because there's been there has been scenes with prolonged you know male frontal nudity i mean even uh, a movie that we've reviewed before with um oh gosh ari aster midsommar like the scene where the mm-hmm. guy runs out of the 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 you know the barn after having sex with the girl you know and he's, mm-hmm. he's running away he's completely naked i mean we've you're right you've seen full frontal male nudity and even prolonged sessions of it. I've never seen an actual like real life erection in a sex scene from a guy in a film before. Like, like, mm-hmm. like this, it, it was completely in your face and graphic is just the only, only word for it. So yeah. I, I think from my perspective with this, this is not, this is not a unique story. Right, I mean, th- this is your classic revenge story. Is is what this is. So, I think what these people did in order to make a movie that was effective and different, and to stand out, and to really make a true piece of art, because that's what I'm going to call this movie, that was going to set themselves apart from all the different ways that this story has been told before, was they just made it as realistic as possible and. In all of the situations where your normal mainstream films would shy away, they did the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. Where other would do, you know, look away off camera, quick glimpses, they stuck right there and they showed it to you in its true graphic nature in the most realistic fashion. They did not leave anything up to your imagination. They showed it all to you. And I, I think that is what has made this movie so amazing in my mind like just to to have to have the concept and then have the idea and have the guts to execute this kind of movie and show it to the masses knowing full well that you're going to get some criticism for it and there's going to be people Mm -hmm. that are just completely turned off and disgusted by it but you still make the thing and you show it I, i think i applaud them i think it's fantastic and i think it was what had to be done to make this movie as effective as it is yeah, I agree a thousand percent with everything you said. Um, it was an amazing movie uh, in, in that regards to the the additional steps they took. The the There was no stone unturned here. Uh, it was, um, it, it was, it really was amazing. The, the, I did hear that the, the body double that they had for like when, you know, he, they, well, when she cuts his throat and also when she's, chopping up the body um sawing up the body they only had one of those so they had to be very intentional with the camera angles and everything that was going on because they had to get it right the first time which was honestly that thing was really awesome that thing was like amazingly done yeah and realistic and (laughs) this movie was just this movie was crazy it was so good when she was sawing off his legs I, I, I mean, I was watching that and I was like, that looks so real. Like it was so good. I mean, yeah, yeah. that, that, whatever that thing was, I could, I could see why they only have one. I'm sure it was hella expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
going back to like the realism and I think why this made the movie so good. I have, um, I've seen this in fiction. I've seen this in books before where there, there's a series of books by a guy named Greg Isles that I, that I've read. Um, it's, there's six of them. There were, there's two trilogies basically, but they're the main character is pin cage. It's, it's the pin cage books basically by Greg Isles. And they are some of the best fiction and they're thrillers. I mean, they're fast paced books, but they're big books and they take place in Natchez, Mississippi. And one of the things that makes these books so um, appealing to me, or it's a weird word to use. One of the things that makes these books so good to me, and I, I recommend them to anybody that likes, that likes thrillers is their realism. This, this is a series of books that takes place in the deep South. Again, Natchez, Mississippi, a place where, you know, racism and, you know, well, slavery and then subsequently racism was extremely strong for a very long time and still lives on to this day in a lot of different aspects. And these books explore a lot of the modern day issues with racism and then also go back historically and look at things that have happened in the past, you know, in the 60s and everything and, and how black people were treated. And it is written in such a way where he doesn't shy away from anything from the language used to the violence inflicted on people and talking about certain things, it's not sugarcoated. And to me, it is what makes, it's one of the reasons why those books are so strong because it, it doesn't hide anything from you. It's very gritty and real. And this is like the film equivalent of those books to me. Like it's just in your face. And I know there are people that are not going to like that. Just like there are people that probably will not like those Greg Isles books because of those reasons. They don't want that blunt hammer to the head. They want the soft pillow um, that mm -hmm. they can just have some fun. But I think there's definitely an audience for it. And if you're in the right mindset and you can appreciate the art form, you know, it's, I, I, I can't give this movie enough praise. So for the next at least 30 minutes of the movie, the last remaining 30 or 40 minutes uh, was just her disposing of the body. Mm -hmm. Took yep. a while. Yeah. And they took their time showing it. Uh, there was one scene where it, it seemed like it sort of came together where she was, it was right after she had finished, I guess just, I guess she had just finished crushing the bones and she was getting the blood and taking, getting ready to, to go dispose of it. Uh, and she stopped at that hotel and that's where we see, uh, um, we see Ivan, that guy. <laughs> yeah. Here. The two, the couple fighting. Yeah. And so she, th this moment was, was, was a really strong moment. She gets out. She, first of all, she's like sitting in the car and she sees these, this couple arguing and he's being a bully to her. At one point, she he takes her glasses off of her face and 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 is just keeping them away from her. So uh, I thought it was just a really powerful scene where she just she gets out of her car and she goes and she stands up to him. And I think the whole what this whole movie was, you know, not only her putting putting her her pieces back together and trying to become the person she was before. But I mean, obviously, she she used some super glue. I mean, she was much stronger of a person now than she was before, and I think that scene showed it. She stood up, she talked to him, she talked him down, and it was it was sort of disappointing to see the woman, you know, uh, sort of cowering away and 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 saying, "Please leave him alone," you know, just defending him all of a sudden now. Yeah. But it was that was a good scene, and then right after that. She disposes of the blood and 
the I had one question about the very end scene where this landed in, in where where did this land in as far as like timelines go well, uh, where they were where they were like serving ice cream and stuff yeah i so apparently that was this is obviously after she disposed of everything i mean obviously because she puts the the bone powder in the ice cream um, well, see, that's what I was going to want. That's what I was going to ask. Did they yeah. ever show her putting the bone powder in the ice cream? Like yeah. I saw a couple comments about that being done, but I never recalled it, it, it. It was more one of those situations where I think it looked like it was maybe, um, I don't know. I, I, I didn't see it happen. I don't recall seeing it happen. Well, they spaced it out. You, you had to put it together kind of like over the course of the movie because mm-hmm. one of the, again, because there's, there's a few of these scenes that are not chronological. Yeah. They, one of the scenes before or maybe mid murder slash body disposal, she is having the moment with the sister. You know, there's an event coming up and they're getting ready for it. And she, the sister says, I still haven't made the ice cream and the other, the, and Miriam says, I'll do it. And she goes in and we see her making the ice cream and mm-hmm. she reaches for her bag and she pulls out the little vial of, of bone dust. And then it cuts, what that was. yeah. And then it cuts away, and you, all these things happen, and you never see that little vial again until you see her putting some of the bone in that okay. vial. Yeah, I guess I, you know, w- with them showing so much of this movie, I, to leave something like that to be implied, I, I just was like, I don't know, yeah. did it really happen or not? It but, was basically the only the thing way, of being the way implied. You, the way you explain it, I, I can see the way yeah. that would happen. I don't know why she did that. That was kind of strange to me. Like, I don't, I don't know what the purpose of having. Well, all these people it was all him. of his family that was there. Remember, it was supposed to be, I think I could have, I could have, I think I recall the conversation about Greta being upset because Dylan planned this and invited his whole family. Oh, uh, okay. And now he, so, oh, do, do they know he's dead? Or do they think he's just missing? Why would they? I don't I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's true. There's no body. He's a missing person. <laughs> yeah, there's no body. They wouldn't know he's dead. You're right. Um, yeah, it's it, it it does land in a weird spot. You're right. It is kind of like a very open ended. Like, what was the point of all this? I mean, obviously she got her revenge, and and maybe this is the turning point where she's now going to start her new life, and her and her sister will start their new life, kind of like together, and maybe she'll start repairing all of these these bridges and, and whatever whatever bad place she was in. Maybe she's now climbed out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's maybe the way that I'm I'm thinking we could look at it, but. I don't think the ending, just like we've talked about this before, I'm I'm a big fan of open-ended stuff. I don't think the ending is the important part of this movie. It's it's not at all. It's everything in between. No. So yeah, the actual climax of this movie happened halfway through. Yeah. So, you know, before we get into I think our actual rating system, I want to I want to just make a couple lighthearted, like more more comical um, comments, I guess. The first is talking about disposing of the body. As I was watching her do all this stuff, there did you did you watch Sons of Anarchy? Yeah. Okay. I didn't. I've only seen like two or three episodes, but one of the episodes that I did watch only because of this person, um, Stephen King has a cameo in it. And it's I forget what season it was, but basically somebody dies, this this woman's body is in 
these main characters' basements and they need to dispose of the body and they're like, oh, I know a guy. And they call this guy and it's Stephen King and he rides up on this motorcycle and he goes down and he's basically the person that can get rid of bodies. And they're in the basement and he says something like, he goes, he comes down and he like surveys the basement and he's like, how's the drain in that slop sink over there? And they're like, oh, it's fine. And they leave him alone like for hours and then he comes back up you know, and the body is just gone. Like he doesn't have anything with him that there's just no more body. And as I was watching this, I was like, Oh, well now I know what Stephen King did in that basement to get rid of that, <laughs> get rid of that girl's body. He did all of this stuff. Um, the second thing that I thought was kind of just odd and I couldn't stop thinking about it was one of the early scenes between Miriam and her boyfriend there. He's brushing his teeth in the shower Oh, I, I remember seeing that. And there has been a lot of conversation about that. I, that I've seen about how gross it is for somebody to brush their teeth in their shower. Do you know what it reminded me of for some reason? It reminded me of the Seinfeld episode where Kramer installs a garbage disposal in his shower drain and is like cooking in his shower. <laughs> like, I don't know. Again, the weird image that popped into my head. But yeah, that really threw me. I was like, who the hell brushes their teeth in the shower? Know. And for the record, it's not that I think it's gross. That was the conversation that was happening. It was it was people that were like, why do you, why would you brush your teeth in the shower? Like, they, I, I forget the reasoning and I, I can, I, it feels weird for sure, but yeah, I don't, I don't uh, know that I personally think it's gross. There, there could be a scientific explanation as to why it may not be sanitary, but I don't know why it wouldn't be, but I just thought it was strange. Like I've never seen somebody do that before. It's, it was just I weird. Yeah. No, that's, that's my two lighthearted comments. If you don't have anything, we can, we can go into our rating system now. I don't have any, I don't have any lighthearted comments other than she was, <laughs> She was very good at cleaning up. She was. She thought about that a long time. You're right. It was very well planned. Yeah, it was. All right. So, time for the official Hallow Horrid rating system. If you don't know what this is, Jason and I break down films into four main categories. Story strength, character strength, production value, and the kicker is the scare factor. Each of these four categories can receive a rating of zero to three stars a perfect film is a 12. We have never had a 12 as long as we've been doing the rating system. We do still think that we may have given a 12 to some of our earlier movies, but we didn't have the rating system in place yet, so I guess we'll never know. But anyway, Jason, you're up first with story. Oof. I mean, it's for story, it's an it's an easy 3 for me. Um it was a it was a great story the way it was presented. I might have some some issues with, but I think the story was amazing. I think it was a story that needed to be told. I think it was um, it was a it was a very well thought out story. Uh, it was executed very well. I thought the dialogue was just executed beautifully. Uh, just the the cadence and the relationships between everybody. I thought it was a, a really really strong, super solid story. So for me, it's a three. It's an easy three. Okay. Um, gosh. I'm on the fence here between a two and a three. Like, I really enjoyed the movie, but if I look at, like, was it overly unique in the story versus just the way it was shown? I don't know. I'll give it a three. I am, I am going to give it a three just because I think – it definitely had more of an emotional punch and emotional depth to it than just a straight up revenge story. I think it was the realism yeah. that, that, that 
gives it that extra punch. Yeah. You know, we've seen lots of re revenge stories and they're always very, uh, very quick and sort of, I don't know, not, not anywhere near as satisfying as this one was. Cause this one, this one just lingered and it felt very real. Um, you know, the character was, was very relatable. The whole thing was relatable. So yeah, I think it was, I think it was the fact that it, it all felt so real. Yeah. You, you, there was depth to it for sure. It was not just your surface level revenge story. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a three. Um, all right, Jason, next up characters. Character. I'll give a, a, a two, uh, only because I don't feel like anybody was really fleshed out. We didn't really know what was going on between any of the characters and why they were strained. Not that that would have made any difference, but it still begs the question, like what was going on? You know, they dipped a little bit into the waters between Greta and Miriam, um, but not much. And you never know what the hell's going on with Miriam and Caleb. So for me, the characters, they weren't, they weren't as fleshed out as maybe they could have been. I mean, uh, you know, a, a line here, to, here or there may have been all that was needed to figure out what was going on. So for me, it, strong characters, um, just not enough. I, I don't think, and none of history, in my my opinion. So a two for me. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting. This is an interesting category for this film because initially, you know, I was I was almost going to go with a three because none of there's not a lot of characters in this in this film which allows which makes it a little easier to do this but none of these characters are cookie cutter none none of them are like you know the 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 stereotypical you know oh i know exactly what kind of character this is that that you're used to seeing with a lot of fiction that have like the just okay there's there's your macho you know type a there's your skittish you know female over here here's your your the guy that tells the jokes you know whatever so i was going to go with a 3 just because of that but now like having listened to you <laughs> explain how none of them really were fully developed in terms of their their backstory and their history. I'm trying to decide if that even matters for this movie. Like the dynamic was created. You understood animosity, you understood tension, you understood flaws. Did you really need to know the why to make it have an impact? And I don't know I don't know. I Man, it's, it's a it's a tough one. Part of me wants to part of me wants to just go with a three because, like, if I was writing these characters, you almost have to wonder if some of the some of the lack of backstory was intentional, you know. So you didn't have all the answers, and you just kind of you kind of just, just fell into in, this. Yeah, exactly. Peeking into this one little moment in in their lives. Yeah, because even the cinematography often felt very voyeuristic, like you mm -hmm. were you were another person there just watching you know, versus a very just structured way to, to look at it. So I, I really think that some of that, you know, lack of detail was on purpose. I'm going to, I'm going to go three. You do you, man. Went, you right. do you. <laughs> all right. Production, Jason. Production. I um, well, production for me wasn't, was a oh, shoot, man. I'll keep going back and forth from a cinematography standpoint. I thought it was fucking gorgeous. It was a very, you mentioned a voyeuristic feeling. For me, it was, it was voyeur, voyeuristic the way it was shot. 
But it, 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 it occurred to me about halfway through that this had a very natural light feeling to it. And I think that added to the voyeurism and the realism um, that it wasn't so well lit all the time. It was like, you know, I think it, it dawned on me during the, during the scene. It was actually, it was right before the campfire scene. They were all out in the, into the water playing, playing chicken. Um, it was like, it was dark and it was blue, like, you know, very moonlit. And it, it occurred to me, all of these scenes throughout the rest of it, they all seemed very natural light. They're all just practical lights going on. Nothing was, was lit, um, with a, with a strobe or a video light. And I loved the way it looked. I mean, if it, if it was done with lights, it was either very subtle, uh, or extremely well done that you couldn't even tell, um, which is totally possible, but it still had a very natural feel to it. So for me, that's a very hard thing to accomplish and still look really great like it did. So I think from cinematography standpoint, it was just top notch, very solid with what it was done with how it was done. The editing was questionable for me. I, I, for some reason, I just didn't like the way it was jumping around back and forth. I, I could, I could, it's not like I couldn't keep up with it. It was just, it would pull me out of what was going on. And maybe that was intentional so that you could, you had those highs and lows. Um, the, the long drawn out editing, I didn't mind. I, I got that. But the back and forth so often is what was throwing me off. And so, I don't know. Can I, can I just give it a two and a half? Let's go two and a half. Well, we've never done a half before. Are we going to start now? Why not? Okay. I mean, I'm good. We, we run the podcast. We can do whatever system. we want. Yeah. Okay. Two and a half. Our first half star. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to echo some of what you said. Yeah. I thought visually, you know, it, it looked really, really great. I had the same thought that you did. Maybe not. In, I didn't articulate it in my head the same way that you did about being on natural light, but I, it did have a very just, you know, natural look to it for sure. Um, again, very voyeuristic. Like we were always just kind of peeking in and just kind of there with them. Um, obviously I thought that the, the special effects were, were very good. I mean, mm -hmm. from the body disposal and the way that the violence and the, and the gore, so to speak was shown was extremely realistic. Um, you know, the sets were very simple, but also very convincing. I mean, I'm, I'm, they, they weren't really sets, I guess. They, obviously, they shot these, I think, probably on location in inside of places and around places. So I, I, don't, think, I don't think there's anything that this fell short on. And in terms of the editing, I will agree that the jumping back and forth and, the, even, and even the fact that they had those, you know, interspersed, very artsy close-up cinematic shots of some random oh, things yeah. that that those were amazing but i i did have a bit of trouble kind of understanding which timeline was which a few times so well shit now i'm gonna give it a two and a half like i don't it's because <laughs> it, you're right like it is like that is the the editing of the story flow is the one little hiccup for me in this overall thing. And I don't think it's enough to knock it down to just a flat two. I think it's, I think it's two and a half. Damn it. Way to go, man. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you pioneered the rating system. This was your brainchild. And now you've allowed us to have half stars in a time where we really need a half star. So you're just evolving this thing as needed. 
It's a good job. Scare factor. This is this is always our kicker. We are a horror podcast. And this was on a a horror streaming service. Correct. And we've talked ad nauseum over our thirty two and three quarters episodes now that there are so many different subgenres and flavors of horror. What makes something horrific? I don't know where this movie falls, but it's it's definitely a horror film that yeah. probably falls more into the the much darker psychological suspense that has a yeah. very extreme violent element to it. Yeah, we we have talked about you know what makes a horror movie um, in depth, and so this is definitely a horror movie. It is definitely a sub sub genre, you know. Um, it being psycho, like a psychological thriller, but also a, re- a revenge movie. The gore is really what sort of makes this bleed into a horror movie for me. Um, the gore was was top notch. I mean, it was really, really well done from that perspective. Scary? It wasn't scary. It was anxiety filled. It was horrific in in very many instances. But our rating is for a scare factor. And so for scare factor, this gets a zero. It wasn't scary. So zero. It's a zero for scare factor. Okay. So I, I'm going to, I, I agree with a lot of, uh, what I, I agree with everything you just said, actually, except for the zero. And I'll tell you my reasoning. The, this This is the first time that I've looked at this this category in our rating system from this perspective. But if I'm in Miriam's shoes and what happens to me happens to me. And then when I go the next day and I tell my sister who should be the closest person that I have alive, basically my, my, my main confidant and person that's going to understand and care about me, I tell her what happens and I am ignored and shut down and blamed. And then when I find my, when I have that first interaction with the guy who did this to me and he completely acts like we're in this together and that nothing bad happened and that, you know, this was our mistake that we made together. I'm now alone. And to me, if I, I cannot obviously fully put myself in this girl's shoes, but that would be a very scary situation to find myself in a psychologically terrifying moment where you go well shit what do I do now like what I I cannot win this this is this is over my life is done like I cannot fix this problem that is terrifying to me I can't imagine the fear that must be inside of somebody if that was to happen to them about what Mm -hmm. the future now holds so for that alone I'm gonna just give it a one because I do think that it's a very scary thing to look at yeah I think you're absolutely right I don't think you talked me into a one I'll give it a one for that oh I'm changing I can the, change my rating can I well if I if I mean I go first and then you have an idea of what your rating is and my my speech can change your rating why can't your speech change my rating you're acting like I'm forbidding. I did, I've already written it down. I already changed your zero. Like I'm on your side don't here. Don't argue with me, okay? 
Sorry, I was, I was like set up for a fight. Um, Sorry, <laughs> prepared for more violence. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it's perfectly fine, and you can change it whenever you want. You want to go back and change any other ones while we're at it before you get upset no, anymore? I think I'm good. Okay, <laughs> I'm locking it in. I'll do whatever you want to do. All right, so let's see how. Let's recalculate. We almost had the exact same rating here. So you've got three, five, seven and a half. You gave it an eight and a half, and I gave it a six. I gave it a nine and a half. So eight and a half and nine and a half out of twelve, pretty damn good. Super solid rating. Yeah, yeah, really, really, really good. And again, if it wasn't wasn't for the scare factor kicker, um, this would be an even higher overall rating than what it is. But again, we are a horror podcast, and we do typically use the scare factor to be more of like the in your face, like traditional ooh shivers and chills kind of kind of scare. So mm-hmm. um, it's where the the gray areas of of the horror genre start to start to fuck with our rating a little bit but it's true (laughs) (laughs) it's true but i do like i do like how you you decided to put yourself in the victim's situation um and consider that for the scare factor i I, it's probably something that will continue to um maybe motivate the rating system going forward yeah it is an interesting way to look at it we we didn't have this rating system in place when we did the Blair Witch Project, which was our very first episode, wasn't it? Yeah, um, it was. But that's something that I mentioned on that podcast episode, and I have said to people repeatedly in my life, when anybody tells me that the Blair Witch Project is not a scary movie, I just say, okay, well, imagine you were one of those kids in the woods at night, in the dark, with that stuff happening. You were trying to tell me that you would not be scared? Like, mm. it's terrifying. Don't give me that bullshit. So. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, this is not my first put put myself in the in the position shoes, I guess, but a yeah. little little you different know, with this one. But yeah, I feel like a lot of people that say Blair Witch isn't scary is probably newer generations too that were not around when it first came out because it yeah. was it was pretty revolutionary the way it was shot and filmed and edited and presented and uh, when it was when it first came out and that. That threw that threw everybody for a loop. So if you were there in the beginning, it's a different situation. It's also oh gosh, I'm going, we're about to extend this podcast by thirty minutes. Uh, <laughs> it's also a movie. Blair Witch is a movie. <laughs> Listeners, if you're if all you wanted to hear was about violation, you can you can go now. You can stop and move on to whatever you want to do with the rest <laughs> of your day. But if the 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 Blair Witch Project is also a very slow burn movie. You know, it, it, it's a lot of just in the woods walking and, and yelling and getting upset in between some of the very subtle scares. And visually, you you see very little ever. In, it's a lot mm-hmm. of audio scares and atmospheric stuff. Today's generation's attention span is so short. Like, they're not going to stay engaged with this movie. Every time something isn't happening, their eyes are going straight down to their cell phones if they're watching yeah. this at home. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you say that too, because that's something that could happen in violation. Some of those scenes, some of the like some of the dialogue scenes and just the moments in between. Yeah. Um, they were very slow and drawn out. Totally could have lost attention at that point. Yeah. In fact, it did lose my attention a couple times. Yeah. It's, so it, that is something about this movie that would apply as well. Yeah. But Blair Witch is scary. I'll fight you any I'll fight anybody on this. It's a scary movie. So oh, you don't have to fight me. I agree with you. Okay. I think it's scary too. Well, you were ready for a fight about the rating, so let's go ahead and have one about Blair Witch. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. All right. Jason, anything else you'd like to say about violation? 
No. Well, you know, I have a question. Would you watch the movie again? Yeah, I would. Would you know? Yeah, I, I, I would watch this one again. And I think only because I did find the realism with the characters and the interactions at the lake house so enthralling. Like I was really pulled into that like dynamic. I really liked that situation. Um, right. And I think just the shock and awe of, you know, the, the meat of this story, I may want to watch again as well, just to kind of maybe pick up on some things and just kind of take it in again after not being completely blindsided by the graphic nature of it. But yeah, I'm not going to yeah. run out and watch it tomorrow or anything. But if ever, if somebody had like never seen it and like was talking about it and was here, I'd be like, Hey, let's check it out. But yeah, I definitely recommend it. I don't know if I'd watch it again in a situation where it's like, if I was with somebody that wanted to watch it, I probably would. I don't know if I just sit down and watch it by myself at any, anytime soon. It is a very heavy movie. So yeah, uh, it affects you emotionally as well. Yeah. True story. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode 33 of the Howard Horror Podcast. We've been talking about violation. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to do us a huge favor, if you could head over to the podcast network of your choice and give us a solid thumbs up or five-star rating, we would absolutely adore you for that. And all things considered, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Thanks. Thanks.